Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly, bringing you politics without the boring bits. You can listen to me live on Times Radio weekdays from 10 on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. Coming up on today's episode, it's that time of year. We're almost at the end of 2023, so I look back over the last 12 months with Ian Hislop, editor of Private Eye, team captain of I Got News For You. We also talk about the controversial Private Eye cover, which sparks a massive backlash for what it said about Israel and Gaza. And more excitingly, he reveals he was asked to go into the I'm a Celebrity jungle. I mean, I was invited to go on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here this year. Were you? This year? And there was a moment I thought, would I like to be round the campfire with Nigel? With Nigel Farage. So I'll ask him why that didn't happen. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, as we always do on a Friday, let's take a look at what we learned this week. We learn that the Tory MP, Selene Saxby, has learned where her gnashes come from. Whilst I recognise money does not grow on trees, neither do teeth. We learn that Keir Starmer's been at the joke book again. I would say that this treaty's got more holes in than the Swiss cheese, but I don't want to wind up the Prime Minister by talking about a European country again. Forget the private jet, he's obviously on a private planet of his own. From up yours to laws to take our money, Kagame. We also learned that Yvette Cooper has been at the metaphor book again. The previous Prime Minister was accused of being a shopping trolley, veering around from one side to the other. The current Prime Minister is clearly veering, but he certainly isn't steering. He's just climbed into someone else's shopping trolley and he's being pushed around all over the place. What? Uh, we learned that former NATO chief Lord Robertson is really pleased to see David Cameron in the Lords. By his very presence in this chamber, he's given a thought to those of us who have to go around saying, do you know who I used to be? We learned that Boris Johnson's finally realised it might have been a mistake running the country with just the lads, lads, lads. One self-criticism, or another self-criticism, I think that the, the gender balance of my team should have been better. And we learned, right, that Rishi Sunak, right, has got a really annoying new habit, right? Because we've got... No, no, but we've got a plan, right? We've got a plan to pass this legislation, and I want to pass it quickly, right? But I'm not hearing from anyone else that they've got a plan, right? 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 And that is what we learned this week. Now it's time for these two. The Columnists with Night at the Marriott. India Knight and James Marriott. I was hunched on my bedroom floor over my laptop, frantically battering away at my column. On Times Radio. And we say hello to India Knight. Hello, India. Good morning. And in the studio, James Marriott. James, how are you? I'm well. Feeling fresh. Fresh? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Even though you were out last night? Yeah, but I uh, moderated my drinking. Very good, because you knew and you were working. I so. knew I had the radio first thing tomorrow, and I owed the listeners of Times Radio my best self. You were missed, India. Yeah, it's a shame. I'm just too far away. Yeah. Um, it was a Times columnist dinner last night. Um, and it was, but it was nice. It was. Uh, was we, it jolly? It was jolly. Um, we were just discussing actually, James and I. We went to this this posh pub, the Devonshire, which everyone's talking about. The Giles Conn's been reviewed and whatnot, and uh, it, it, it was just a lot of sort of small pork chops, which were nice. They were nice, but they weren't large. <laughs> <laughs> was that it? 
But it's it sort of it sort of share. They just kept bringing piles of meat, which you just sort of helped yourself to. But a pile sounds large, more like a little mound, I would say. Yeah, a sort of a, a plate would a side plate would arrive with four pork chop miniature pork chops. And if on you're it. lucky, you'd get one. You had to like dive on it before Charles <laughs> Corwin did. Um, but anyway, it was okay. nice. It was nice. Happy Christmas. Uh, right, uh, let's turn our attention to what's going on in the news. Uh, the, now, uh, this is a, this needs a bit of walking through. So. This story begins with the BBC presenter, Mariam Moshiri. She was caught on camera holding up her middle finger. So the, the sort of the the um, the news was starting. When the camera cut to her, she'd got, she was holding up the middle finger. She later apologised, saying she was messing around with her crew and didn't realise it was being broadcast. Then the Tory party's official Twitter account used the image with the caption, Labour when you ask for their plans to tackle illegal migration. So then the... Uh, this morning, Tom Persglove, the Minister for Legal Migration, was asked about it on Times Radio Breakfast. I think that it is right that we highlight the fact that the Labour Party has no credible policy on this and prompt that debate. Why have you not retweeted that? To be fair, I um, haven't spent an awful lot of time on Twitter in the last 24 hours. I think you'll appreciate that being new in this role, um, I've been immersing. Morning, I've been I've been immersing morning. myself in the detail. <laughs> Um, what do you make of uh, what do you make of this India? This this is this the right way for the Tories to be going about their business? No, it just sort of looks like they've they're completely out. They're out of ideas. They're out of energy. They're out of everything, and they're just retweeting an arguably mildly offensive thing because there's nothing else. The cupboard is bare. They've just kind of run out of stuff. It's it, it's really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's very down market. It really looks like nobody is paying attention. You want a kind of laser focus, and this isn't what that conveys at all. Um, James, it sort of reminded me a bit of when, do you remember during the, the 2019 election, the Tories changed the name of their Twitter account to Fact Checker UK? Uh, and they were tweeting during TV, that, yes. and um, it's all—it's all just a bit. Well, but it's sort of both pathetic and horribly cynical. Yeah, and I think—I mean, without wishing to be too—you know—we don't get up on your high horse too much about a tweet, but political parties in a—you know—healthy democracy should sort of behave with dignity and act as if they're run by grown-ups. And I just think, you know, we're all worrying about the kind of corrosion of politics and the corrosion of people's faith in politicians and in the political process. And I think tweeting stuff like this just makes the people in charge look a bit like children and doesn't really... Mm. I just think it's good for people's perceptions of politics. I think there's a, certainly a case that, you know, you, parties have outriders who are fighty and feisty and, you know, inventive and rude in their communications. But I think there should be a real line saying, we're a serious political party. I mean, the oldest political party in the world, we're going to behave with dignity and it's kind of bad for us not to, is my view, but maybe that's really... The original clip is obviously hilarious that they were... <laughs> that they memed. I really, really laughed out loud at that. Um, but this seems to be a thing that they... Because they previously uh, used... Uh, they tweeted Labour's plan to end illegal migration and it's uh, John Travolta from Pulp Fiction just sort of looking around and confused as if there isn't anything there. Um I mean, there's part of me that thinks, India, if we even just fall into the trap, because well, it's been seen 13 million times now on uh, on Twitter in, what, less than 24 hours. Have we just fallen into their trap? Uh, but no, I don't think so. I think there's a diff- no, I think there's a difference between something being viewed millions and millions and millions of times and the re- response of the viewer of the clip. 
to the clip. Mm. And I think there is no way of viewing that or the Travolta or whatever else they might have done in in a similar vein without thinking that is just so lame. You know, it just sort of looks desperate. And like, not even the intern, because the intern would be sort of younger and sharper and a bit cleverer and might come up with something better. You know, it's just really, it's kind of like tired old dad scraping the barrel yet again and finding there's nothing left at all. Um, the uh, When you click on it, actually, the first uh, reply that I can see is Alicia Kearns, the Conservative MP and chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, says, amazed this has not, despite requests, been taken down. It is beneath us. Yeah, quite right. But then lots of people then are sharing that picture of uh, uh, Andrea Jenkins, the... Um, uh, very briefly, she was in... Was she in the cabinet? Was she, she was definitely a minister. She education. was the one who walked, she walked into Downing Street. With the, uh, yeah, gave the finger, uh, finger to the camera. Gave cameras. the finger to the camera uh, on the day that... I think on the day that Boris Johnson left uh, Downing Street. So you sort of think, well, if that's... If that's the way you, you want to carry on... Uh, oh, she was a junior schools minister for um, that summer. That summer of love as Boris Johnson was... Was leaving. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I suppose maybe maybe it is just an indication of a of a party which is which is yeah. If if all they've got is that, then uh, I do the other thing. I just think why do they keep saying where we what what where are Labour's plans? If you are it's like well, you your plan isn't working. You don't. Mm. You can't just keep saying oh we've got a Rwanda plan. You haven't got a Rwanda plan. Two years they've been talking about it now. Anyway, <clears throat> let's move on because I'm much more interested in talking about this. Is it okay to be rude about vegans? A pantomime has dropped a comedy song that made fun of vegans after receiving complaints. A performance of Mother Goose in Cheltenham included the song lyrics G in vegan stands for gassy, while the A stands for either anemic or annoying. It's not quite scanned as a song, but um, uh, is it all right to be rude about vegans, James? Yeah, I think it is. I think there's something a little bit retro about this new story, <laughs> about, uh, you know, somebody... One person got upset about it, I think, and they've cancelled the song. And I think this is a bit sort of... There was a moment a few years ago when anybody going onto Twitter and saying they're offended by something would send whatever big corporation into absolute, you know, backflips of panic and cancelling stuff. And I think people nowadays are generally getting a bit better at being more robust about this stuff and saying, literally, whatever you do, somebody on Twitter will be annoyed. So, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, it seems far, It seems far, People are supposed to be a bit offended by pantomimes. I don't... And I think... It doesn't matter if they are, and even if they said they're forging ahead of the song, everyone knows nowadays that there are always people angry about stuff on the internet, so it's all right. I, Yeah, seems fine. Um, what do you think, India? Apparently, um, it came after a girl uh, in the crowd who is vegan, so that after going to see the performance of their school, other children started singing the vegan panto song at her. Um, well, there you are. There are worse things to be sung at one <laughs> than, than the vegan panto song. I think it's absurd. I mean, again, yeah, as James says, it sounds um, it sounds very old-fashioned. I mean, they need better jokes. You know, people made those jokes about vegans being gassy and boring in the eighties. So, you know, maybe um, maybe write some better lines. But but Panto is Panto is knockabout and robust, and when it's good, brilliantly satirical. So to to to, to go out of the way to remove an inoffensive thing that has allegedly offended one person. I mean, again, if that's what you consider a personal affront, then, you know, good luck to you in your cosseted life. It's, it's, not like it's, it's be- completely silly. Being a vegan, it's not like it's a disability. Or, well, it's much more uh, widespread oh. now as well. It's hardly even a minority kind of Yeah, exactly. Pursuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, uh, and it, yeah, the idea that it's this niche thing that needs protecting, you know, every other person's vegan as far as I can see. But it's also, unfortunately, reinforced the slight perception that vegans are humorless. Um, yeah, and overly worthy. Yeah, no, no yeah. There's no, no, it doesn't. Really not, these complaints often don't really help the people making them. I don't think. <laughs> have you ever been? If have I got in trouble on uh, Times Radio for saying anything about vegans or? No, as you know, the only time I've got into real trouble on Times Radio is when we said something about Rory Stewart. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what we happened? So many complaints about you know when I oh, people do people do I love just people do really love him that if Rory Stewart thought that public service was such a a good idea. He could have stayed in the cabinet. And actually, he'd probably be foreign secretary now. Yes, this was in fact on this Night is... at the Marriott. Yes. I was, there for your, I was there for your scandal. Oh, it is interesting. I, I imagine well, we were when his biography came out. We were bombarded with emails, reviews on the podcast, uh, people saying, I've listened to you for eight years, but I'm never listening again because of a very light uh, criticism of Voice to It. It's a testament to the power of the podcast because it's so, such an intimate thing and it goes straight into your head, I think. Mm. People who listen to them are just... It's more than the radio. It's like this weird parasocial thing. Um, never, yeah. We, I mean, we, we should say for the record that we love Roy Stewart. We love Roy Stewart. We're not going to say anything about him. No, but I bet, I bet vegans love Roy Stewart. You're treading a dangerous line there. You're very, playing with fire. I distance myself from your right. comments. It's all right. The vegans won't have enough energy to get in touch. So it won't matter. <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk out the studio. I'm worried. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, right, let's move on, James. Let's talk about your column that you've been battering away at this week. Um, uh, you've been looking. Oh, you've been yeah. The Marvel films. Um, uh, they've been tank. Well, the latest. I've never seen one. I have seen a couple in my time, although not for a, not for a while. I was trying to watch some clips actually for uh, for this column. I was trying to watch as much as I could. So I had a kind of slightly weird um, Wednesday. But yeah, it's really. But your fast- point is that, 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 that for those who are into it, it's become like a religion. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a lot of talk around, around Marvel this year because a lot of the kind of big Marvel films, which always have these extraordinary titles like. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. I couldn't even begin to imagine what happens in that film. Uh, but that was a box office flop. God, the so Marvels cool. last month was the worst one ever, um, commercially. And then all these DC films as well. One called Blue Beetle, which again doesn't sound particularly exciting. But um, I was kind of saying, don't write them off just yet, because I do think that these huge entertainment franchises have this... I'm really fascinated by the massive influence these things have in people's lives. You know, a traditional film, you go to the cinema once, you watch it, it entertains you, it maybe moves you, you go home. But watch a Marvel film, buy the bedspread, buy figurines, put them around your house, <laughs> go to, you know, go to the Marvel studios, go to Disney, and it's just, this stuff can literally become your entire life. And But also for grown adults, it's not like it's a, chi- you know, a childhood. You know, yeah. It's not like and a I, thing for children. Exactly. I think it's a genuinely new phenomenon, and also that because it's kind of new, we underestimate how influential it is, and Harry Potter, another kind of similar big franchise. There are literal adults who, you know, go, as I said in the column, will go into a kind of sticky situation as an adult and think, what would Dumbledore do? And I just think... <laughs> It sounds sort of silly, but I do think actually these are really these are, are like we really are socking it to them. I know, today. God, I'm vegans, going to get vegans, Stewart, looking fans, <laughs> Disney, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Potter India. What do you I'm think go about this? Hiding. Are you a, 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 a? Would you know if someone asked you which Hogwarts house are you? I wouldn't know which Hogwarts house I was, but I love Marvel's films. Oh. All before, I, I love Ooh, them. Well, this, is well, this is what we want. We want to we want a dust up on a, on a film. <laughs> yeah. No, I love them. I think they're um, not 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 the recent, not less good ones, but you know, in their pomp, they were completely wonderful. My children persuaded me to watch them, and I binged them all. Actually, I didn't binge them all because there are an awful lot of them. I got my kids to make me a list of the best ones, <clears throat> of which there are about eight. 
And I absolutely love them. And I thought they were complete feats of invention, creativity, wit, plot. They were thrilling. I really, really recommend them. They're a good thing to get into in your Christmas holidays. So if James and um, I, at some point over Christmas, are going to get into our pyjamas uh, yeah. separately, I mean, not together. And well, uh, you don't know. what we could do? Oh, you never know. Like Bert and Ernie. <laughs> I think we should do. I think we should Surely do a pajama-clad episode of uh, Night at the Marriott. Yeah, I'm up for that. Uh, but which? Which? Where should we start? Mm, Guardians of the Galaxy, probably. Okay. I can't believe I'm getting Marvel film recommendations from Indian Night. This is not the direction I expected it's to go. It's gone in. wrong. It's upside down. But it's, but there's there's all this. I mean, maybe your point is though that actually just stick to the, the good first eight uh, and not go on to it because the same as I mean I'm not I, I can't stand it but Star Wars while we're on the, on the subject of slaying things everybody else loves I can't be doing with Star Wars I just think it's I like the old ones either. I love but the old Marvel ones is different but it's but, but the the sort of the way that I don't know because Disney have bought it and like someone with like four heads who walked in the background of one film once has now got a spin-off origin series on of, Disney Plus that goes on for like a billion episodes yeah, just so they can flog it's, more so, it's so cynical and I mean the way these things are made is absolutely fascinating you know these kind of you can read about it online, these kind of teams of executives who just like, you know, bashing stuff out, pumping things out, <laughs> giving every new character, um, you know, their, 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 their script and there's all these horrible formulas you have to comply to. I don't think it is very creative and it kind of, I mean, as people always complain, it sucks a lot of talent out the rest of, yeah. you know, film and TV because yeah, it can just only make money. That's all true, but Marvel the source film. material, the initial source material, as with Harry Potter, was fantastic. It goes off in all these, you know, it grows tentacles and it fears off in all these directions which are questionable but the but the initial thing was great i think i quite liked the first harry potter film which yeah. harry potter house do you belong in i, I, I was trying to work it i out. don't know james because i'm an adult maybe you're a hufflepuff <laughs> <laughs> uh we did such a do you know james do you know your <laughs> does james know his house i think i'm a ravenclaw are you mm. what does that mean it means that um i'm bookish uh, yeah i like reading a book yeah. um what about what? What house would you put India in? India, ooh, what is India? It's just radio. <laughs> I, I wonder if India is a I bit of a fellow Ravenclaw. Any of them. Uh, I mean, having denounced all this and then having an earnest aliens, discussion about which aliens, <laughs> wizards, people with hair, it's all feet, I, it's all very silly. I, people I, with I capes agree. can't be doing anything. Up until the age of twelve, it's fine. But beyond yeah, exactly. that, just grow watch, up. A, watch a grown-up film. Grow up. Please don't cancel me. Stop watching Marvel, stop listening to Rory Stewart, and start eating some meat. That's what we've concluded. This is the last episode of the show that's ever <laughs> going to be broadcast. Now, let's go back to this comment from James last week. Having a great big stretch. James Marriott's here. Limbering up. How are you? Good morning, yeah. Uh, well stretched. Yeah. Supple. Supple. Ready to broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> can you touch your toes? No, I absolutely can't. I'm can in fact extremely unsupple. Can I can barely touch, touch my knees. Wow. So we thought maybe it's time that James learned how to touch his toes. And who better than someone from a, a dance school? So who knows what sort of stretch you're going to be doing? Uh, from the London Dance Academy, Maria Donyova uh, joins us. Oh, I've done that wrong, haven't I? Do it again for me, Maria. Donyova. Donyova. Very good. So uh, could you teach James to be bendier? I will do my best. Very good. So, first of all, can we get you to stand you up? You just stand up, Jones. Touch your toes. I'm sorry you're not to. here for this, India. Um, <laughs> well, it's really annoying. I want to see. God. Yes. Oh, he really forward. can't. Wow. He really, yeah, really it's not good. Well, first of all, he's basically got his, his fingers back to his knees. 
Yeah, can but you, you can touch your knees. Can you, can you, touch go lower than that. you must be able to go lower than that. <laughs> Not really. I don't know why. So, no, it's fine. So basically, a lot of the time, what happens is we try to reach from here. Yeah. We don't want to reach from here. So we want to come down nice straight spine. Okay. So basically, you want to take your hips yeah. and bring them forward. Oh, I don't know if they do that. Yeah, you can. So bring them forward and now straighten out the spine. Okay. Yes. And now think. <laughs> now think okay. shoulders back and you're trying to reach your belly to your thighs. My belly, belly to my to your thighs. Your belly on, to your thighs. Come on, James. You got this. Keep going. Ooh, oh, yes. ooh, look, his hips aren't forward enough. Okay. But you're He's still got, hunching over here. We want a nice straight. So that's going to that, be further. further up. Yes. You have to bring me back up. Yes, because Are you I want bending to have a straight back. What? Are back. you bending? Okay. And then you're bending than that. And then yes. <laughs> okay. So bring your hands to your thighs and now start coming forward. Keep your head up. Ah. Uh, yeah, look forward. This hurts slightly. Yeah, is it hurting in your yeah. hamstrings? He's in uh, terrible shape. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Why are you in such bad shape, Joe? I don't think I'm very athletic. No, but uh, clearly not. I mean obviously but not. Ending. So I'm one not so very one thing. I can touch my toes. <laughs> you can touch it. Your... Of course I can. Oh, I feel really depressed. There we are. So with flexibility, you need to make sure that you strengthen the muscles, not just stretch them. So a really good one that you can do in the studio is sit in the chair, bring your leg forward, bring your heel forward, and then start dragging yourself across the floor. Across the studio? Yeah. <laughs> okay, can I do that while we're broadcasting? Yes, you can. Well, you don't have wheels on that I think chair. We've, so yeah, that that <laughs> we've long given up on whether or not this, this, this is Is anybody listening? <laughs> But I'm, I'm worried about you, James. You're yeah, me too. So unsupple. Is this bad? For, is it bad? It's not because it could be a number of things. It could be that you are pro not proportionally aligned to be able to come down that far. But <laughs> that most he's of the a funny time, shape. But, mo <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time, what happens is because we're like spending all day sedentary. So then we have like our hamstring muscles are really tight, and that's what you need to strengthen and lengthen in order to bring yourself down forward. So at the desk, you can also just lean forward, grab. Oh, I don't think I can lean forward and grab. Yes, you can. Oh. Yeah, keep the back straight. Come forward on your chair. Oh, that's I think this should be a weekly feature, <laughs> This is really, <laughs> yeah. this is really... Eventually, you'll be like your ballerina with your leg up on the... Does anybody, I don't think anybody wants, don't think anybody wants yeah, that, really. So you want oh, this foot so. down on the floor? Oh, Let's get is, you in some yeah. leggings. There we go. Tights. We're getting there. Oh, yes. I can't say that on there. Ow. There. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't. I think we ought to stop before James. Stop swears. torturing James. Um, well, there we are, James. There's, there we are. Poor James. Did you hate it, James? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, but it's no, good, good for me. I think, it's good I, think, for me. I, think, I think you should do more of it. I'm worried about it. I, I am going to. Should I stretch every day? Yes. Mm. What, what's he unconventionally proportioned? Was that the well, no, I mean, <laughs> that could be a possibility. That could be a possibility. <laughs> I wasn't saying that was the case, but also it's a lot to do with the hip flexors as well. India Knight and James Merritt, there you can read them both in The Times and Sunday Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, see you in his lot. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. So 2023 began with Rishi Sunak being fined for not wearing a seatbelt and ends with a series of slow motion car crashes uh, involving migration, the economy and the future direction of the Tory party. Keir Starmer began the year 
promising national re- renewal and ends it dressing up as Margaret Thatcher. Uh, so, who better to have a look through the year that was 2023? Nuruddin Hislop, editor of Private Eye, star of I've Got News for You. Uh, do you do you edit do you edit the annual as well, Ian? The, I'm the afraid Private I do. Eye? Yeah, yeah, you do it all. You do it all. <laughs> Now, it got me thinking, actually, I mean, obviously, obviously the annual's terrific and very funny, but I, I wondered whether, did you think that 2023 was a bit boring? We haven't had a new prime minister or a new king for ages. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, and everyone said this is going to be the year where the adults take over and it won't be nearly as funny for you. And then it started off quite sane and, and obviously that was disappointing. And then it just went nuts, didn't it? And it turned out that... The man we got in to be prime minister doesn't understand politics at all, <laughs> um, hasn't really got a clue how to do it. So that proved funnier and funnier. And he does keep telling us that he's someone else. The real Rishi changes sort of month by month. Well, that's the thing, is it? Well, let's start then. Let's start in Rishi Sunak's year. Yes. At the beginning of the year, he was he was the sort of serious guy just getting on with the job, keeping his head down, wasn't going to be out talking the whole time. He was just going to, he was going to do, not tell. I'm not going to pretend that all our problems will go away in the new year, but 2023 will give us an opportunity to showcase the very best of Britain on the world stage. We, like you said, we've, he's like Madonna. He's had loads of reinventions this year. And also he just started with five pledges. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt, Cut waiting lists and stop the boats. And again, you just think anybody who's really interested in politics would remember Ed Miliband and headstones and and things not to do. These six pledges are now carved in stone. And he just doesn't remember. So and out of five pledges, you're unlikely um, in the world as it is to be able to meet them. And as it turns out, it's it's looking like, is it one out of five, not out of five? Yeah, the one which has got nothing to do with him, the rate of inflation, because yes. that's based in the hands of the Bank of England, that looks like it will be met. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the ones like growth and NHS waiting lists and stopping the boats. Yes. Not so much. Not, yeah. not so much. It's, it's a sort of meatloaf song, isn't it? It's a naught out of five ain't bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, have you been surprised? Given that, you know, we obviously had Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, I'm sure we'll come on to them in a minute. Have you been surprised that Rishi Sunak hasn't turned out to be better? Yes, I mean, genuinely surprised because I suppose no one knew anything about him. But it should have been a clue that he hadn't been in politics very long, didn't appear to be very interested in it and doesn't know how to do it. And I mean, the the year ended with him not knowing that the the classic British response of a prime minister to the Greek marbles issue is you say, oh, that's very interesting. I'll definitely look into that. And and then you carry on with the meeting. The idea that you cancel it is just is ludicrous. Yeah. Ending up in a diplomatic spat with Greece uh, was not on my sort of bingo card for the year. No, Um, he's, he's got there already. And what you do know is that um, anyone Greek, and particularly the Prime Minister, will bring up the Elgin marbles immediately. I mean, again, I just wonder if there are any advisers left. Now, we should we should also talk about Keir Starmer's year. Yes. He began, you know, began the year being very serious again. My father was a toolmaker, careful with your money and all of that. I grew up in a pebble dash semi. Dad was a toolmaker. My dad was a toolmaker, worked in a factory all his life. My dad was a toolmaker. 
I mean, their pole lead is just, I mean, it's held up through the whole year, despite sometimes his best efforts. Um, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's now so far ahead in the polls, he can appear in the Sunday Telegraph writing essentially a love letter to Margaret Thatcher, irritating, I suppose he thinks, all the right people. Did you, were, you, were you expecting that? I suppose no. it's just part of the playbook. <laughs> no, I just thought he's now getting to a sort of level of such confidence. He feels he can do anything. I mean, it's, it was Liz Truss, actually, who used to dress up pretending to be yeah. Mrs. Thatcher. The idea that Keir's going to appear with a handbag now and tell us to rejoice is <laughs> it's a little bit disturbing. But I think it because the last three times where I think you, me, probably everybody else thought, well, the, the Labour lead's going to it's going to collapse now. You know, that didn't go very well. The Gaza ceasefire vote. Surely, surely some of this is going to rub off. And then you open the paper the next morning and he's even more popular. So I think it, it, even Keir, I think, might now think he's going to win. And what difference do you think that then makes? Do you think that the, the Labour lead is any enthusiasm for Keir Starmer? Or is it just wearisomeness at the, uh, if that's not a word, uh, at the Tories? Well, the the Tory um, mid-year makeover suggested that they were a change party and Rishi was a complete change from everything you'd seen before. The 30-year political status quo, I am here to end. That didn't last very long. But the obvious response to that from the public was, well, if we want to change, we can have the barrister bloke. He's a bit different. Although, I mean, in the last sort of five policy announcements, he's just said, whatever the Tories do, I'll do that as well. Uh, so, just, 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 I just feel slightly sadder about it. Yes, and, and I've got a more pained expression. But I, I do think it, it's not necessarily enthusiasm. I mean, I got fooled by the because I saw that heading about Keir enthusiasm for Baroness, and I thought, oh, it was Mrs Kinnock. Uh, and maybe sections of the Labour Party are not allowed to appreciate her anymore. But... It is a bizarre turn. But let's talk about some of the people we've loved and lost this year. There's a long list of people who, who filled the pages of Private Eye over the years. Boris Johnson. There's only one chlorinated chicken that I can see in this house, and he's on that bench. Nadine Doris. It's, it's attention-seeking behaviour. Suella Braverman. It's the Guardian reading. To- tofu eating. Dominic Raab. The sea was actually closed. Nicola Sturgeon. Nothing could be further from the truth. Will you mourn their passing? Yeah, well, if we start at the the bottom of the list, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, I mean, we started the year saying, ah, Donald Trump being arrested. Certainly wouldn't happen to a a politician in this country. And then, you know, the Scottish police descended on the house and put up tents as though it was line of duty and started (laughs) digging around the garden for God knows what. This is the epicentre of what has become a major police investigation here on the outskirts of Glasgow over the course of this morning. This is the home of Peter Murrell, the home of Nicola Sturgeon, the power couple in Scottish politics. It was was like they'd said, can we make this look more like a murder? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not that there's any suggestion of murder, of course. No, but that was that was the not. unfortunate implication. No, and I, and I mean, what is funny is that it ends up being about a camper van, which you know American <laughs> politics is more glamorous. They they appear to be billions <laughs> at stake as opposed to you know a dormobile on someone's drive. <laughs> so that was funny. I mean, you say we've lost these people, but we haven't lost Boris. He's back at the inquiry again. This time, spinning it just as he did before. 
in all the other inquiries he's appeared in yeah. front of this year. <laughs> I think my favourite inquiry was when Carrie's mum caught him having a drink with a nanny. Uh, <laughs> and that, was, that was a very serious inquiry. I had a glass of wine. We chatted about some politics. And then we got her, they got home. Um, she was exceptionally rude. Carrie made me feel very uncomfortable. She was very unwelcoming. She just left me standing there. Yes, a very serious inquiry. It's a very serious repercussions for all, all involved. Suella Braverman, has she actually gone? And we had a strip car team, which obviously I regret very much, which is like Superman. It was Braver Man. And you call her up and then... She doesn't do very much because she doesn't have any powers. But it, it seemed funny for most of the year. But then suddenly she was gone. But again, I don't, I don't really trust any of this. I think they're all coming back. Well, because they have. You know, she, she was sacked as Home Secretary. It was back within the week. You know, it was only a matter of time before she returns. Grant Shapps must be due another job change. <laughs> um, what about Nadine Doris? Have you enjoyed her move into fiction? Was it different in your day, Walpole? I would ask myself as I gazed up at his portrait. <laughs> yes, I did think it was hysterical. And I loved, I just loved the fact that everybody had Bond nicknames, I mean, including M, who was presumably Michael Gove, and <laughs> James Bond, who was clearly Bo Johnson. I mean, it, 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 was, it was gloriously silly. And I think there was a character in there called Ian Dougie Smith, who uh, <laughs> I couldn't work out which one he was. It's very confusing. It's very confusing, her book. Now, when we began the year, what do you think the chances are that you'd have put a bet on the big comeback of the year? Rishi Sunak makes a big speech at the Toy Party Conference in October. I'm the change candidate. I'm drawing a line under 30 years of failure, everything that's gone before me. And within six weeks, he's got David Cameron walking up down the street. What went through your mind when you saw David Cameron arriving at number 10 again? This approach is stuck in the past. I just thought I was dreaming. Uh, Again, you thought this can't happen. I mean, former leaders, you know, like Tony Blair, they hang around in the background and everyone accuses Keir of being weak and feeble that he has to rely on a previous leader. And then... Sunak appoints a previous leader to be foreign secretary. And somehow this is not continuity. This is a bold new move. It's the day after he sacked um, Suella. And then so you think, oh, is this a move to the centre? And then he he appoints (laughs) Esther McVeigh the next morning. I literally have no idea what he's doing. And I get the feeling that I share that with him. I suppose actually the other the other big point we should talk about this year was 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 Sue Gray. Sue Gray suddenly going from, you know, checking Oliver Letwin's pay slips to investigating Partygate to working for Keir Starmer. Yes, and I think that was the one time in the year Keir Starmer had a a sort of moment of silliness where he thought, what's the thing I could do most to annoy the Tory party <laughs> is appoint uh, the person who's been looking into Partygate. But Again, it was a very, very stupid move. It's the only time in the year I thought, oh, well, maybe you're not grown up at all. Do you detect the hand of Sue Gray in anything that he's done since? We're being told that she's in all the meetings and she's raising eyebrows and making notes. Really? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I mean, Sue Gray was, in in essence, quite a grey person. And, you know, the, the Sue Gray report was not exactly a bombshell, given what we found out since, particularly during the COVID inquiry and the diaries and WhatsApp groups. 
actually Sue Gray comes across as more and more of the slightly boring civil servant that we thought she might be. I mean, it did involve wine coolers and suitcases full of booze and swings being broken, people being sick. I mean, it really did. I mean, that stuff isn't made up. And Nadine's worldview that everything is a conspiracy to get Boris Johnson. I mean, it's a conspiracy by Boris (laughs) to destabilise himself over the course of an entire lifetime. Yeah, it's quite hard to think that everything that happened during the COVID pandemic, during lockdowns, none of that brought Boris Johnson down. What brought Boris Johnson down is a group of people who also didn't like Ian Duncan Smith once. The quiet man is here to stay and he's turning up the volume. No, and we're, and we're sort of fearsomely pro-Brexit. <laughs> yeah. And then weren't sure. No, I'm afraid that that doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's talk about some of the other the other characters of the year. Matt Hancock continues his tour of the TV studios. I haven't had casual sex with anybody. Uh, Nigel Farage in the jungle. I've dealt with snakes in the European Parliament. I believe I can cope with this too. I mean, I know you like to keep across popular culture, Ian. Have you been enjoying any of this output? Um, yes, well, I'm, I mean, I was invited to go on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here this year. Were you? This I'm, year? I have been asked a few years, and I always think it's a sign of whether I'm washed up or not, uh, is, is whether I get the call. And I got it this year, so it's probably all over. And there was a moment I thought, would I like to be round the campfire with Nigel? A camel udder. Wow. And a sheep udder with a cow's teat. And then I thought, no. <laughs> I, and again, they're briefing at the moment that Nigel's very boring television and everything's very disappointing, and they'd much rather have more people from soap operas on or influencers or whatever. I think the idea that politicians will liven up your programme may have just been deflated for good. Yeah, that does seem, does seem to be the case. I mean, the, the fact they're surprised that Nigel Farage makes boring telly suggests they've never seen GB News. Or never been to a pub where <laughs> that sort of conversation is available. If you did go on I'm a Celebrity, yes. um, what would what would be the thing that you're... Is it spiders? Is it snakes? Is it drinking camel's anuses? What would be the thing that would do for you? I think members of the Reform Party. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we've missed out. I think I think you and Nigel thrashing it out topless round the round the campfire. I think that's <laughs> that's what we need. Well, it's bottomless in his case, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, arguing over who's going to go and empty the dunny. It's 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 the reinvention your career needs, Ian. Yes, absolutely. And I feel it's what the public really doesn't need to see um, at all. We should talk about, I mean, it's not, you know, the news. You cover all the news. The royal in- family has been pretty dominant this year. Yes, well, exactly. But I was going to say that because you've got the, all the bits of it, all the part after their, you know, their, their respectful period of silence after the Queen died. They're all sort of back now. In full soap opera mode, the king wearing a tie uh, to placate the Greeks. You've got the the Prince Harry book, which accidentally got some names in it in the Dutch. Edi- yeah, they're sort of all, they're all at it. Yes, it is a bit like the Sunak thing. There was a moment where you thought there'll be calm, there'll be peace, and then it all kicks off again. And I mean, when the Queen wore the the hat in Parliament that was sort of vaguely EU colours. Um, that was sort of quite subtle. The king wearing the Greek flag the day <laughs> after his prime minister's made an idiot. 
And then the palace says, oh, no, it's it's an old tie. He's worn that one before. I mean, it, it is pretty funny. It is very funny. Also, the idea of the palace saying, no, he's, he's only got a couple of ties. Yeah. He just, he just grabbed the nearest one he had, happened to have to have. Oh, what, this old thing? This old thing? I would imagine there are a number of gentlemen of the tie and equerries of the cravat who, whose job it is to, to peruse the thousands of options every morning. So coincidence, no. No, no, I think it's probably right. Now, uh, tell me about when you cover Harry and Meghan in the magazine. Yes. Do you get, because we, whenever we discuss Harry and Meghan on the radio or I write about them or you get a whole load of people who are really, really angrily telling you they don't want to talk about this anymore. Yes. Um, do you get the, you know, at which camp do you think private eye readers are in? Is it Team team Wills or Team Harry? No, I, I hope they're Team Neither. <laughs> on the whole, I mean, in, in the last outburst, I mean, I always enjoy the uh, reminding people that the papers who really, really hate Harry do have a slight skin in the game on this one in that he sued them. So there is there is a real bias with some of the papers. But again, Harry makes it very easy for people because he's just so annoying. I would like to get my father back. I would like to have my brother back. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we ran a lot of accounts of the trial. Do you remember he had to actually give evidence? And it was a very bad idea putting him forward as the main witness because he's just not used to answering questions. <laughs> and when you're in front of a barrister who says, uh, uh, what happened here? And he says, my phone was hacked. And the barrister says, uh, you were three years old and you only had a, you know, a Fisher-Price phone. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't look so good. And genuinely, his, he, he was terrible. And then the idea that this book has absolutely nothing to do with um, the couple. I mean, dear old um, uh, Scobie, he, he's he got two sources, really, hasn't he? And, yeah. and we and know one of them himself. Since <laughs> <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned media bias there. For a long time, you thought the biggest problem in, in the British media was my boss, uh, yes. you know, billionaire Australian. Then along comes Abu Dhabi to buy a newspaper. Yes. Are you excited by that? Um. The UAE, they, they're really not very keen on journalists. I mean, to the, to the extent of locking them up and keeping them inside whenever possible. It is a bit like um, having the Chinese own the papers or, or the Russians. Uh, you, you really don't want this. I find myself in, ag in agreement with Charles Moore which is, is a great Well, I was going to say that. With, with, with actually lots of Telegraph columnists and the, the Spectator editor, they don't particularly want to be owned by them either, which makes you wonder who might still be, who what they might actually be buying, just some blank pieces of paper. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a bit like when Mohammed Al-Fayed, who we sadly lost this year, I say that not terribly sincerely, but, you know, <laughs> he did die. It, it, it is, when, do you remember, he bought Punch, and there is a, a sense in which people think, I will buy the title, and they don't realise that that's, that's not much. Yeah, unless you've got every part of it. Now, you've not been without controversy either this year. Yes. Uh, in the When you ran after the uh, October the 7th attack, you ran a private eye front cover with the, the, the headline on the front, warning, this magazine may contain some criticism of the Israeli government and may suggest that killing everyone in Gaza is revenge for Hamas atrocities may not be a good long-term solution to the problems of the region. Yes. Uh, when you did that... Did you expect it to become such a controversial front cover of all the many ones that you've done in your time as editor? 
No, as one reader put it um, not long afterwards, why have you stated the bleeding obvious? I also didn't expect, you know, what I'd written as exaggeration and satire to become American foreign policy, which it is as of now. Um, so it, it, it turned out X weeks later to be, I mean, if anything, a bit lame. But I think it, it at the time it got people very excited um, both ways. Was it, I suppose, because the thing that always surprised me about this, because if you look at the polls, that you know, there were in the UK anyway, a group of people on both sides who were very partisan and passionate about it. And there lots of people in, the, in Britain who could just look at it and just think, this is a terrible situation. I don't need to pick a side. I can see uh, reasons to be uh, sympathetic to both sides. Were you surprised by the left? Because, I mean, you, you, I think you lost a cartoonist, didn't you, resigned because of some yes. of the backlash? Yes, despite the fact that I put his cartoon in, which was indeed a cartoon about people pretending they weren't being anti-Semitic when they were. But, uh, you know, there you go. <laughs> Is it, do you think it's had a permanent effect on the magazine? Do you have any regrets about it? Um, no, absolutely none. And uh, I think, you know, uh, as, as week followed week afterwards, it looked um, less and less controversial. And also, I mean, people do tend to see what they want to see. And if you follow the magazine, there was a long... <laughs> Uh, there was a long piece about um, uh, Hamas's effect on its own people uh, in the magazine. There was a uh, two pieces about sort of neighbouring Arab governments and their and their lack of interest in finding a solution too. And if you if you go back a year, two years, then it's it's more and more clear that what we're trying to do is find some sense rather than, as you say, pick a side, which I don't I don't think you have to. Ian, we've looked back over the last year. That's all boring now. Let's look ahead to twenty twenty four. We've got elections coming out of our ears. Somebody told me there's 40 elections around the world of some description or another in 2024. What's going to happen? Well, I'm, I, I sort of, uh, I feel Trump might get in again, which is is top depressing uh, revelation just because life is so crazy at the moment based on the last few years that why wouldn't he? So, I mean, I think that may be the top election. I do think we will have an election in Britain. I think Keir Starmer will get in and I think he'll recall David Cameron uh, to be his deputy <laughs> prime minister in an attempt to keep everybody on side. And then I think that'll probably go very well. And then there'll be no further political stories for the rest of the year. And then you'll have to resign. When do- <laughs> I'm always on the verge of it. When do you think the election will be? Are you, a, are you in the May camp or the October camp? I think it has to be May because... The trajectory is only one way at the moment, so I, I feel it will have to be then. And is there part of you that relishes uh, just a new influx of characters? We were talking earlier about your Boris Johnson, the Dean Doris and all that. Actually, a, a, a clear out, a change of government. We haven't had one for... A, well, we've had lots of Tories moving around each other, but we haven't had a proper change of government for a long time. Is that something that you and the private eye team quite look forward to, regardless of politics? Yes, I mean, I, I think um, everybody would like a change of personnel and a change of vocabulary and a change of dialogue and a change of feuds, not the same old ones. And yes, it would be great not to be talking about whether Nadine is backing Boris and whether uh, Michael Gove is now manoeuvring behind the scenes in, in the next government after this one. It would be great if it was about something else. I mean, it could even be about politics and about policies and, and what we want to do. No, don't be silly. Don't be daft. Forget that prediction. Up. That's just silly. Um, I'll ask you, although I'm not necessarily expecting an answer, who are you going to vote for? Um, do you vote? I do vote, yes. I mean, I think it's 
it's it's a duty to to laugh at politicians. It's also a duty to vote for one of them. That is the bottom line. So I will be voting, but I'm afraid I can't tell you about exactly when I want David Cameron to succeed. <laughs> and so how's Private Eye doing? How where are you in the in the? Because it seems to me that you're you're persisting with the not embracing digital technology. Yes, well, that that is our secret um, superpower, uh, is that if if you're not online and you don't give your material away for free, people tend to buy it, which is uh, an extraordinary insight, uh, which is allowed only to me and obviously to no one else in the entire publishing business. But no, I mean, we are still selling, you know, 230,000 odd copies, which is a lot more than we sold, you know, before the pandemic and a lot more than we sold during periods when we were down to, you know, 200,000. And the editor then, I think, was a complete idiot. Uh, uh, it was me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who obviously couldn't do anything to save his life. So, no, touch everything. I mean, it's going pretty well. So, God, that's my final question. Then. How long will you remain as the editor of Private Eye? It's been, what, 35, 36, 37 years? Are you going to go on and on and on? Or are you going to hand over the reins to David Cameron? Yeah. <laughs> No, I just, I mean, again, I do take a, a leaf out of your proprietor's book. I think as a young man of of, of <laughs> 97, I, I think it's wrong for me to go quite yet. Right. Very good. Very good. Well, it is. Uh, very good news. Very good news. Uh, it is. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. The Private Eye Annual. It's the perfect, the perfect stocking filler, as long as your stocking is quite wide in the thigh. That's what I'm going to say. It's a pillowcase uh, filler. It's a pillowcase filler. It's a perfect pillowcase filler. And obviously, Private Eye's out of your week. And have I got news for you? We'll be back soon. Uh, again, de- depending on uh, at what point they sack us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look, I look forward to being invited back. Ian Hitchcock, uh, uh, thanks for joining us on the and Happy Christmas. Yeah, and to you, Matt. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget, if you're a Time subscriber, you can get a bonus podcast episode on a Saturday. So just link up your Apple account to your Time subscription. You can hear that tomorrow. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.